you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. Dave McBride, thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget to help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your shows. Also, I invite you to join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Digging Oak Island. Okay, let me start off by talking about kind of a change in format here for the podcast. As I've explained, every week I watch The Curse of Oak Island live on Tuesday nights and then again on Wednesday morning. Uh, I then start, we've talked about this before, I then start researching and then I write a script, which takes a lot of time before I record. Now, like I said, I've hinted towards this a few times and I've tried a few test runs of this, but I think for the remainder of the television season... What I'm going to do from this point forward is this live-to-tape kind of show where instead of writing a script and putting it all out, I'm just going to record my thoughts, uh, take some notes, do the research, because the research is what really matters the most, right? So from now on, these are going to be a little less cohesive, a little more spontaneous, and hopefully the whole point of this, out on time every week, hopefully out on Thursday, Friday at the absolute latest. This makes it much easier to accomplish that. And uh, I think the content's just going to be the same. You know, that's going to that's not going to change. It's just going to be the way I present it. It'll be a little more haphazard and uh, a little less slick and a lot more rambling from a crazy old podcaster here. Anyway, so what we want to do here to begin is start catching up with our listener emails. Our first email comes from Jesse, who, who wrote before last week's show. So when he says last week, he actually means now a couple of weeks ago. He writes, Dave, after last week's episode, I really wondered what the metal was that was found in the swamp. I rewatched the episode again and sent pics to a friend that does welding and just asked what he thought of it. He said it looked like welding slag, the way the colors looked and the flat backside of it. Just a thought. You mentioned it in the past week's uh, episode, and I thought I would share my thoughts on it. What do you think? Um, so Jesse's talking about that thing, the kind of layered piece from a couple of uh, episodes back. We didn't know what it was. Uh, we saw it in Gary's hand, and then we just sort of ignored it. Jesse sent some photos of what he thought. I'll post them on the Facebook and uh, Twitter pages. You can take a look. Looks good to me. I mean, this is the best uh, possibility I've seen so far. Uh, it really was basically unidentifiable. It just looked like a piece of scrap metal of some kind. Um, I don't think it was anything. Uh, as I always tell you, though, if we never hear any more about that, we know why. Because they looked into it. It wasn't anything. Anyway, let's move on to Steve. Uh, no, let's move on to Tim, who writes, I'll make this short and snappy. What's the difference between a feature and a structure? <laughs> in a recent episode, they were talking about how the thing in the swamp was not just a feature, but a structure. Or was it the other way around? Thanks, Tim. Well, I mean... I think those words are used sort of interchangeably with the crew here, right? You can throw in anomaly. <laughs> Sometimes they like to say that instead. And I'm sure there are others besides anomaly. Um, in my mind, I, and in the when I'm thinking of an expert looking at it, I would say a, f a structure is an upgrade to a feature, right? A feature is when they see something, they have no earthly clue what it could be. But once they start seeing something built, then it becomes a structure. You know, once they get more evidence in to see that it's actually something that somebody took the time to engineer and then build, then we 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 upgrade it <laughs> to a structure. Um, I don't know. They seemed very interchangeable, and those are the words they like to use the most. 
Okay, so now let's go to Steve, who writes, Dave, thanks for the continued labor of love in the podcast and keeping it going even when your personal schedule becomes challenging. I think I speak for all of your listeners when I say thank you. Oh, I appreciate that, Steve. Uh, it's not my personal schedule. It's my five-year-old son's personal schedule that <laughs> becomes the challenge. Anyway, uh, Steve continues. Just a few minor observations and thoughts from the last couple of episodes. This excludes episode 11, which will air after today, but before the next podcast. So that's good. That's where we're going to stick these in here. So if you if you write me after Tuesday's episode, right? You write me on Wednesday. I get it before I record. I'm going to include it in next week's show, if you understand, because I want people to be able to see it. I want to put my thoughts out, and then we can add yours into there, and the next week's show is sort of a gear up, kind of a little way we can look back on the previous week's show, if that makes sense. In a couple of the aerial shots, I found it interesting that some sort of feature runs roughly down the middle of the swamp from north to south. In some shots, it's full of water, almost like a stream or creek. But in at least one shot, it was dry and looked almost like a bifurcation or crack. I have no idea what this feature might be or if it's meaningful, but it caught my eye immediately. Okay, I think I'm getting what you're talking about here. Um, first of all, here, Steve uses the word feature <laughs> instead of structure. You can see why, right? It's just a feature that's there or an anomaly. Um, I, actually, I think anomaly is more something that comes out on a sonar reading or a uh, LIDAR reading or seismic scanning or something, right? That's an anomaly, something they really have no earthly clue what it could be. Uh, anyway, this is this feature he's talking about uh, is just sort of this dry patch that kind of runs down the middle, uh, or I should say a watery patch that sometimes is dry and sometimes it isn't. Uh, two things here, Steve. One... You have no idea, none of us have any idea when these shots were taken that they're using. So we see some work being done, and it probably all took place within a few days, right? But these B-roll shots, and by B-roll, those are the shots that are sort of the extra little shots that they pepper in, sort of establishing shots and, uh, you know, uh, landscape shots and that kind of stuff. These kind of shots, um, we don't know when they're in. They're just edited into there. So they tend to kind of jump all over the place. And I've mentioned this in the past where we saw work being done. Obviously, we've already seen some work done in the corner of the swamp there, but we haven't gone to that yet for some reason. Uh, very strange how this is, whole swamp thing is working out there. But um, you see what I mean. So it could be that that was just... You know, you you saw a, a a shot of the swamp when it was not fully drained, but it, you know, but they plopped it into a sequence where the swamp was supposed to be fully drained. I think that happens quite a bit here. Um, the other thing is to keep in mind there must be a source for the swamp. Okay, it is fed in some way. It's not just stagnant rainwater. It's uh, we've they've mentioned this before. There is some sort of source of water for the swamp. So it that's what makes it so hard to keep it dry. Or else they could just drain it and let it sit there and it dries out until it rains again, right? That's not what goes on with the swamp. It does fill itself back up. So there is some sort of source, and that could be what's coming into play here. They're very guarded about what that all is and how the swamp all works. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the swamp, I think, over the next few weeks. But... 
The swamp is sort of partially man-made. Uh, I mean, even in because we know that because they built the road there. I'm not talking about you know whether it was too you know man-made to put and bring two islands together. I'm talking about something much more recently. It is partially man-made, definitely man-manipulated over the last hundred years or so. Um, so it presents its challenges, and they're very, very uh, standoffish with that kind of information. They don't talk a lot about it. They don't talk a lot about what the impact of the road is and all that kind of stuff. So. We're going to talk a lot more about it in the time coming uh, and hear way more about the swamp than I think uh, we have at any other point during the course of this show. Okay, Steve sent us a long one here, so he continues with his um, email. He says, again, in episode 10 teasers, the editors included the shot of Gary Drayton holding some sort of gold item reminiscent of a pocket watch and shouting something like crikey or blimey. I don't know that he uses crikey or blimey. Uh, does he? Uh, anyway, or would you look at that? Now that's more him. Uh, unless I missed it, we still haven't seen this object during an episode. I wonder if we will, or if this is just another pump being lifted out of hole, as we saw last season. Steve, you will get your answer in just a bit. Based on the effigy mounds here, he continues. Based on the effigy mounds here in Ohio, two are actually um, in the neighborhood next to mine, where there is an Indian mound lane. In quotes. I have a hard time believing that the Serpent Mound on Oak Island is an effigy mound. If they were not burial mounds, they were largely ceremonial, which suggests that they would have been often visited for ceremonial purposes. Frequent visits would suggest that there would be artifacts littered around the area, but we haven't heard that. They also gloss over the fact that, to the best of my knowledge, someone argue with me, the Knights Templar were not really mound builders. I'm more supportive of the notion that these are spoils from a previous dig. Um... Uh, Steve, I would, I think you know your answer now, right? You wrote this to me, and uh, we're going to talk about it in a little bit. Um, I agreed with you even as I was writing this or looking at your email last week. Uh, I definitely felt this was a, definitely a, a spoils pile and not what they said it was. Um, it's still interesting to see the dating on this spike that we talked about last week, the spike that matches with the money pit. Again, let's just put a pause on that. We'll get to it during the show review. He continues, I remain an advocate of forensic analysis of Zena Halpern's map, carbon dated. Confirm the paper and ink are on the right age and that the handwriting and language are also age consistent. That'd be an easy way to better confirm its provenance as well as that of the code sheet. Thanks, happy new year, and keep up the awesome work, Steve. Uh, Steve, I couldn't agree more. I've been saying this for years. That needs to be done before any of this thing, and I've been saying it certainly since the time we've been talking about this, um, Xena's map and all that. I think, uh, first of all, I don't know of anyone who has done this, uh, so therefore you must ask why not. Um, it has been in the hands of other people, including Scott Walter. So you guys can reach out to him if you want to and see some of the things he's written about it. Um, it definitely has a lot of questions. Uh, and its history also has a lot of questions. Um, I think, I don't know about this, but, you know, one of the things we need to talk about, I think, at the end of this season, and as I see a lot of criticisms blowing up about theories being talked about, about artifacts being made a big deal of. Uh, we have to keep in mind this was a shortened season done under incredible challenges, uh, and it is the challenge of the editors to make this a full season and to make it an exciting one. Um, and I think that for those of us who have really looked into Oak Island for years and years and years, we can see the holes in this here, right? Um, but 
I've been saying this from the beginning. We need to show a little patience this season uh, with everybody involved. And I, and I think that's one of those things. I think turning to the Xena Halpern map is a great little way to have a couple of neat little shows uh, when they're trying their best to try to make as much content as possible and interesting content. Anyway, uh, that leads me to a message via Facebook from from another Steve who also writes, rather than being interpreted as a serpent mound, couldn't the serpent mound in Lot 15 actually be an anchor for Xena's map or Xena's map, the northernmost anchor in approximately the same location? Not a big fan of Xena's map either, but the proximity is striking. Steve, I don't disagree, um, but at the risk of repeating myself, I want to know uh, who wrote this map and for what reason and whether or not it's genuine and all that kind of stuff. I need that first before I worry about any of this other stuff. Um, now, let's finish up with a couple of emails from our friend Daryl. He writes some great stuff. Um, and let's go through. I'm going to kind of put together a couple here. Okay, he writes, hello, Dave. Today I have been binge listening to your Digging Oak Island podcast and just finished the excellent podcast interview with James McQuiston on his new book about the Mayflower connection with Oak Island. I can't believe how interesting it was. I grew up in Shelburne County, Nova Scotia, and my ancestors pioneered here from the Plymouth Colony. Your interview was right up my alley. I have at least four direct ancestors who signed the Mayflower Compact. Now I have more researching ahead, and I love it. Thank you. I will be reading his books directly. Cheers, Daryl. Uh, thank you, Daryl. The thought of listening to the sound of my own voice for that long really just gives me the heebie-jeebies, but I'm thrilled to hear that you can handle it and you're enjoying the show. Uh, I'm also happy to join you with this with um, this plugging of James McQuiston's great books uh, on Oak Island, his latest one, Oak Island and the Mayflower. He's got a whole ton of them. I get asked all the time, all the time. Uh, which theory I believe in or which theories I'm leaning towards. And there are a couple, and James McQuiston's is definitely one in which I am seeing where this goes. This is research he's doing kind of in real time. As soon as he does the research, gets enough for a book, he puts it in a book and puts it all out there for us to read and decide on our own. He has not spent, he has not finished this research by any means. He's following it. It's almost like a book version of what I'm doing here, right? A journey to discover where this leads. Um, it seems to be leading in some very fascinating places. And uh, like I said, his his theories and where his research is going, I'm not even sure he has a theory yet, but where the research is going um, is definitely one of those things that I'm following along with very, very closely. Daryl then wrote again later in the week, and he wrote, Hello, Dave. Thank you for your podcast. Um, I find it interesting and informative, uh, and you're very respectful towards the TV series. And I put that in there. Because, again, I think this year we really need to think about that, guys. I mean, this is a struggle of a season. They're going to be putting some things in there, maybe scratch our heads more than we would in the past. Um, and we just need to be patient with it. Anyway, he writes, he continues, I'm mostly an observer who loves history and the Oak Island treasure searching crew. I do have one theory that isn't a big deal, but I thought you might find it interesting. Seal Island, southwest Nova Scotia. My family has fished uh, lobster there since they pioneered here from the Plymouth Colony. Many years ago when my grandfather was living, I remember him talking about his early years on Seal Island. One story in particular has me thinking of Oak Island and theories about the making of the swamp. Grandfather told me the lobstermen and women would sometimes drag their lobster boats into the pond on the west side of Seal Island for protection during winter storms. These ponds are natural to Seal Island and easily accessible from the ocean. Seal Island, like Oak Island, 
does appear to have been two islands in the past, or maybe they will become two islands in the future. I believe what has been uh, suggested on the show is very plausible. The swamp may have possibly been a pond or lagoon that was easily constructed into a small harbor, and it could have been drained for dry docking ships or digging tunnels. Thoughts? I've also added a collage of some random pictures from Google Maps of some natural ponds and lagoons around Nova Scotia. Hope you find it interesting. Thank you, Daryl. Daryl, great work, as always. I'm going to take some of these pictures and post them on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, We've talked about this a lot in the past, about what the swamp is all about. And like I said before, we're going to be talking about the swamp a lot, right? But we've discussed how it's not a unique feature in any means to that area, that things like that seem to be found all over the place, Um, that, of course, there was a road built there that changed the way nature continued from that point on right and how the the swamp evolved and how it changed based on that we don't really know um so yeah you put a road in front of a lot of these things that that uh daryl is pointing us out here and you have a feature that looks almost exactly like the swamp so we you know uh, it's a great information and i think it's a great opportunity for you to for you the listeners to look at this and see uh it's not unusual for that area and we need to know more about it great stuff daryl i thank you uh for sending this in for doing the work to send me all that stuff um and this those pictures i think the listeners are going to love really seeing that and especially a thank you to everyone who emailed and messaged me keep them coming uh, you can send us an email at digginoakisland at gmail.com, or you can send me a direct message on Facebook or Twitter, too. You can find the show there at Digging Oak Island. We'll be right back and get into the next episode of The Curse of Oak Island. All right, so it's time to get into Season 8, Episode 11. The Curse of Oak Island called Rocky Roads. Let's begin where the show began, actually, over at the Money Pit, where Craig Tester seems to now be the new man in charge over there. Uh, Marty says in the beginning here over the years, there's a kind of a talking head moment here when they're beginning the Money Pit. He says, quote, unquote, a lot of our drills stopped short. Marty says they need to drill even deeper this year. Quote, unquote, and this is a fascinating interview, before we give up on the Money Pit. So it's two things are amazing. One, here's Marty Lagina saying that he now feels that most of their projects drilling in the money pit, years of this, have stopped short, have not gone deep enough now, stopped a few feet too short. The other incredibly fascinating thing is that Marty seems to be considering giving up on the money pit. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, you got to read the tea leaves sometimes in these shows, but uh, that I thought that couple of minutes there, the way he talked about the Money Pit area and the potential for, you know, what might happen going forward is incredible. Anyway, drilling continues over by this OC1 shaft from last year. That's the shaft where they brought up some big pieces of wood and they had that wood dated to 1706, which was fascinating find. Uh, and they're still getting wood here. They find they they get a couple of pieces, like little pucks looking thing, and then underneath 185 feet, um, which Craig says is they find these small shards of wood, let's say, little splinters of wood. Now Craig says that this area, 185 feet, is too deep 
for what he refers to as the Hamilton extension. So I thought it would be great. And I give you a little idea of what this is, but uh, to tell you who and what that is. Engineering professor Erwin Hamilton from uh, NYU, he took over the search for Gilbert Hedden um, back in the 1930s when Gilbert Hedden couldn't afford to continue. He wanted basically to take over Hedden's work. Now, Hedden had built a famous shaft down to 170 feet looking for the money pit, uh, looking for the chapel vault, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then Hamilton continued that. And that is what's called the Hamilton extension. So you have the head and shaft. And then below that is this part that Hamilton built a few years later. Now, Tester knows, Craig knows they're digging in this area of the head and shaft. So finding wood at this depth, right, under 170 feet, which is, I think, where um, this Hamilton extension stopped. I think Hedden went down to about 130. But you got to remember the money pit was at that 110 area, right? So... 130 was long, and Hamilton went even further down. But Craig knows that there shouldn't be anything at 185 feet. Now, in a later scene, Craig is meeting with Marty in the war room, and they're discussing this project. Uh, By the way, can somebody read that map for me that he's showing us with the little black circles or lines of circles? Looks like little black worms all over the thing. What am I reading here? Can, does anybody know what that is? Can somebody interpret that for me? I've stopped it and stared at it. Is it actually the direction in which the hole's being drilled, like the way it's the way it's planing off to certain sides? I can't really read what we're looking at here. Anyway, Craig says that they are, quote, unquote, deeper than anyone we know has ever gone. And he's referring to these pieces of wood there. Uh, he also says that the wood from 185 feet could quote, could have been from the collapse of the money pit. And that makes a lot of sense. you got to keep in mind, Hedden was digging where he felt the money pit was, where he felt the chapel vault was. And they all thought that was the same kind of thing. Uh, so this could certainly be evidence of the collapse. And you, they'll find that all around that area. So if, we don't know how far deep the, the pit went, the collapse of the pit went. We don't know how far down into the mud or into the rock or anything that all this stuff went. It had to have gone somewhere, and it's going to be all over the place. So that's really got to keep in mind. That's what they're looking for. Remember the stated goal, to gather data before doing a big dig. So finding little shards of wood at 185 feet doesn't mean that they're on to the treasure vault. It means that they're finding this data so they can get a map of where all this wood is and really kind of zero in on this area. They're trying to find where the money pit is located because nobody knows for sure. We've discussed that a million times. Now, later on in the episode, Rick is over there. He's a very upbeat guy and he's, uh, you know, they're showing him what they found. And during this scene, They say these little pieces of wood were found at 185 feet. And according to the narrator, these were found, quote unquote, beneath a five foot layer of solid bedrock. Now, I went back and watched the earlier scenes. Nobody mentioned that, at least not that I could see. Uh, So I'm going to turn to you, dear listeners. I know there are so many of you who are much more versed on this stuff than I am. I'm just a podcaster. Um, Is this a significant detail? Is the fo- these pieces of wood being found under a five-foot layer of solid bedrock something to consider, and what should we be considering with that? Uh, I'm trying to get some answers to that. I don't know what it means. Does it mean that it would be less likely 
Here's what it means in my mind. It would be less likely that these pieces were from the collapse because the collapse probably would have stopped at the bedrock. Am I right? Am I wrong? I leave it to you guys. Uh, it seems to me <laughs> that that's what this means. But this little nugget of information was said in passing and, and, and no one even seemed to bother mentioning it or talking about it. So it seemed like a big deal in my mind but it doesn't seem like a big deal in the mind of the show, and it certainly doesn't seem like a big deal they're trying to pass along to us as viewers. I don't know. Am I making more of it? I leave it to you. Please, tell me. Okay, let's take a quick stop now over at the Serpent Mound feature, or what we thought was a Serpent Mound feature, over on Lot 15. And we're this, you know, this goes back to some of the questions we had during the uh, the email section. So we get some of the stuff answered here. Archaeologists Aaron Taylor, Liz Michaels, and Miriam Amaralt are all working on this mound feature on Lot 15. And they bring in Scott Barlow to help with his excavator. Now, this is unusual for an archaeologist to have them just dig something out. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm fascinated by this. Okay, so Aaron Taylor is talking about how they're digging in a feature that's called the egg. All right. So this is kind of hard to explain unless you can look at visualizations of an old serpent mound. I'll put another one up on uh, on our Facebook page so you can see what I mean by the egg. It's similar to other serpent mound founds in other places. The serpent itself has a you know a nice swirly little spot and then kind of a mouth area and then in front of the mouth is this egg-shaped feature. It's probably supposed to be the head of the serpent. It makes it look like a sperm cell. <laughs> if, if we're all I mean I might as well say it it's what we're all thinking um, but it's this little separated egg-shaped feature. Now this is an important feature in the serpent mounds. Uh, in the actual serpent mounds. And I find it fascinating that Aaron Taylor, an archaeologist, thought the thing to do would be to take an excavator and cut right down the middle of it. I mean, if this is a burial mound, that seems... I, I, I wonder if he didn't know that he would find nothing before he got going here, because it just seems like a big risk to take. Anyway, as they dig and they pull it out, Mary Mamerald says, quote unquote, looks like Phil, feels like Phil, something like that. And someone else remarks that it's just rubble. Rick Lagina comes down. I think he's joined by Gary Drayton. And um, Aaron Taylor says to him very definitively, this is, quote, absolutely not a serpent mound. It's a spoils pile, end quote. Rick says that Scott and Doug, Scott Barlow, the project manager, and Doug Kroll, uh, theorize that this could be the spoils of the original money pit brought here. So this was, he kind of said this real quickly, but basically what the theory is, is that when you're digging the original money pit, you don't want to put the spoils or your extra digging close to it because then people know that there was a dig here and a big one for that matter. So you move these spoil pit, these spoils, this rubble, all these big rocks somewhere else. You move it somewhere Buried in the woods, you know, a few hundred yards away so that somebody sees the pit. They don't put two and two together. Makes sense. I still think it's a little close for that, but it makes sense. I think it's a good theory uh, to kind of wrap this all up and, and make a theory that it is indeed the money pit. Uh, 
Rick then, so they all decide this is it, right? It's a spoils pile. We're not sure what it's a spoils pile of. We got to figure that out. But then Rick tells them to essentially abandon this project and then to co work on the swamp. And they all nod and say, yep, that's what we're going to do. And my first reaction is, are you kidding me? That's it? You're just going to abandon this project here? Last week, we found a piece of metal in there, a spike in there, drilled into a, you know, all in this area, drill uh, that apparently was embedded in a piece of charcoal, and the charcoal dated to what? The Knights Templar, right? <laughs> we found a spike that matches another spike that is from the Money Pit area, from OC1. I think those are two separate things. And now we're giving up on this because we think it's just a spoils pile? Don't we want to know where the spoils pile was from? Aren't we interested in the year this might have been dug? But this is a spoils pile from the 12th century or something or whatever they said it was. Come on. I I, I was absolutely floored by this idea that we're just going to abandon this whole thing and move on. Again, we say this over and over again on this show, and, and I feel sometimes like I'm apologizing for the producers. There has to be more to this decision than what we see. There just has to be. We spent the last two episodes talking about how this area dated to the time of the Knights Templar with everybody's face lighting up when the dates come out about the charcoal. And then we talk about, we bring in an expert from a university to tell us that a piece of metal found not far from there, right in the same area, matches almost exactly maker, you know, (laughs) look, the whole thing to a piece of metal found at hundred uh, under 100 feet deep in the money pit, those two things possibly made by the same person, that's all fascinating information. And now we're just going to leave all that hanging and close the door on it. Uh, again, there just has to be more to this. I hope to God there is. Okay, so let's finish up now over at the swamp. And I spent the last two segments in the money pit and now over at the Serpent Mound talking about things that kind of annoyed me. Um, Now I'm going to talk about this stuff here, which I I really find. Now I'm going to get a little snarky in it for sure, but this is where I think I agree with Marty. This is where I think this year's work is really turning out to be something truly, truly fascinating. Anyway. They're digging more along this stone road feature that is really being revealed now, and we're really starting to see what this is, and it is really fascinating. Um, It doesn't look, I think, to some people like much. I hear a lot of criticism. My wife criticizes it sometimes, too. But, folks, nature doesn't pile little rocks of all the same size next to each other very often in a sort of rectangular shape. It's just... it. Just looking at it, it doesn't appear to be something that one would find a natural formation. At least I'll say this, not a kind of formation that I'm really familiar with. If I'm wrong about that, folks, please, please, please let me know. Anyway, they're digging here and they pull out a big beam. It's a squared off beam. Uh, and the swamp doctor who's there, Ian, Dr. Ian Spooner, says that <laughs> says this great thing. It ain't fancy work. Um, meaning there's nothing real fancy about it, it, but obviously it's milled. Now, this brings me back to a criticism that I've had 
for the last couple of weeks, which is remember Gary Drayton in the corner of the swamp finding a couple of pieces of wood. This is an area right over in the corner, finding a couple of pieces of wood piled on top of each other. And this opened the door to what this could have been. And this was obviously sort of cross beam thing. Remember that it was a couple of couple of episodes back and we still haven't gotten back to that yet. We're still working only in this area, which is not the same area. Anyway, I continue as this work is going on, as this big beam is being pulled out and his big beam, uh, Gary Drayton is detecting over at a spoils pile and he finds this big round gold colored cookie looking thing. I mean, <laughs> Looks like a macaroon, right? Like a gold macaroon. And everybody comes over and, oh my God, what is this? And here's the thing that we've been talking about. Somebody mentioned, is this really going to be shown? What could it be? I saw some very learned people making a lot of interesting guesses on what this could be. We've been seeing about this and hearing nothing but speculation online all over the place about what this could be since it first appeared in a trailer before the season, and it is a doorknob. It's, <laughs> or drawer knob, it's a little knob. That's all it is. Now, Gary starts saying that he thinks it could be from off a ship. I have no earthly reason why he would think that, uh, why it could be off the ship rather than off a chest of drawers or whatever, or a small door or anything. Um, there's no reason to believe it might have been off a ship. They start talking about captain's quarters. I, I just, it gets a little crazy until Laird comes over. And I love this scene, right? Laird looks at all their faces and they're all beaming. Oh my God, they found this incredible thing. It's gold. Look, it's gold. And, and you could see him be like, you know, do you really want me to come over here now? <laughs> he just sort of looks at him and he actually says, I always burst people's bubbles. Um, he looks at it, he thinks there might be some gold paint on it. You know, he says that one side of it looks a little better than the other, but you can tell he's not really all that impressed. I think he just doesn't want to, sh to say right then and there in front of a beaming uh, Gary Drayton that, you know, you found a knob, dude. And that's, that's what he found. So they bring it to the Interpretive Center to show it to numismatist Sandy Campbell, who we've seen in the past, and I'm really not sure why they show this to him. And we've talked about this in the past. A numismatist is, for all intents and purposes, a coin collector. They specialize in money and currency and that kind of thing. So I'm not sure why we would bring a doorknob to a numismatist, but be that as it may, he's able to clean it all off. Uh, he does like a certain kind of cleaning thing. And he says that it is quote unquote far from modern. Uh, he says it might also be from a jewelry box, and then weirdly says some sort of secret box. I mean, this this is the type of thing, a jewelry box or a secret box, this is the type of thing that drives serious Oak Island fans crazy, right? I mean, please, he's just making that up. He has no idea if this knob came off a jewelry box. What even is a secret box other than something that sounds very nice, right? He's not an expert in this field. Um, so I'm not sure why he stood in there as an expert, but uh, other than the fact that he can clean it up and look at it under a microscope, um, but it's that kind of stuff, that jewelry box, secret box stuff. I mean, anyway, we'll just be that as it may. <laughs> he does clean it up. Like I said, he identifies it as being brass. And here's the unfortunate thing. Um, at least this time we found it. Somebody compared it to the whatever that was being dragged out of the 
you know, a hole last year. At least we saw it this year. Uh, but it does turn out to be nothing. It's not a clue to anything. It's not, it doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't point towards any particular time frame or any usage. It's just a knob. Unless something changes, unless they can show me something else, um, it's kind of disappointing, right? But it's what we expect. I mean, this is, they make a big deal of things in trailers. We all know that. That's what trailers are for. Now, later in the episode, though, here comes the good part, I swear to God. Uh, Gary is in the swamp, and he's got this gigantic metal detector, and he's already detected, and he's laying out orange flags in the ground where he gets the hits. And right alongside him are little yellow flags. I wonder what those are. Can somebody tell me what those are? Anyway, now Rick is doing the digging here, and one of the hits that he's digging on, which Gary has already looked at or has already metal detected, leads him to this huge timber, which has two wrought iron spikes sticking out of it. They spend a lot of time digging it out of the swamp and getting a good look at it. Um, but this is a really amazing looking piece. I mean, what is this doing in the swamp? What could this possibly be? Uh, I couldn't help while watching this, but to think of Fred Nolan, who devoted so many years, so much of his time, so much of his life into trying to find follow some clues, and to look into the swamp. What he must be thinking now of something this size, clearly some sort of man-made thing being buried at this depth under the swamp. It is a fascinating piece. Now, we see very, very little about it. Uh, I hope <laughs> that we follow up on this and we get a better excavation of what this area is. Like I said, there's two weird big wrought iron spikes coming out of it. Not sure what it could be. Uh, they're opining that it's possibly for build wharf. Could very well be the case. I think we need to see a little more of it before we know that for sure. But we're getting now into what Marty was saying at the beginning of the year, that the swamp really is just opening up a new path of questions that just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But like I said, I, I can't help but thinking, what could Fred Nolan be thinking there? So that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening and for subscribing and all that kind of stuff. Thanks to everybody for taking part in the show, sending in emails. I also get these great messages sometimes during the show, which make me laugh. Um, a lot of snarky stuff that we doesn't make it to air here, uh, but just kind of uh, banter back and forth. It's been been absolutely great getting to know you guys. Uh, don't forget, subscribe to the show. Um, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying the show, I do ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That helps to get the word out on the show, gets more listeners to us, and that's always great. Uh, thanks to everyone who's done that so far already. I really do appreciate it. I really do appreciate the kind words. Also, like I said, if you have any questions or comments that you want to send to me directly, you can do so via email at digginoakisland at gmail.com. You can also do so by sending me a direct message via the Facebook and Twitter pages. A little warning, keep in mind, if you send me an email or message, I might just answer it here on a future podcast. So if you don't want your message read to the listening audience, 
Just make a note of that for me. People have been doing this. I get big, big things that say not for the podcast. <laughs> and that usually means there's a joke involved in there somewhere. But um, And also, the email is the best way for me. It is the easiest way. It's the quickest way for me to get it. Uh, the way the Facebook and Twitter works on my phone, I, I'm not good at that stuff. Anyway, but feel free if that's your choice. No problem. It just may take me a day before I realize it's even there. Uh, don't forget, follow us Facebook and Twitter. Go to your search bar, put in at Diggin' Oak Island, and you'll come up with us. Uh, give us a like there or a follow there. Uh, it'd be greatly appreciated. It's a wonderful way to follow the podcast and also interact with other listeners of the show and to see some of the images that I get, especially from our listeners, um, and you know that are pertinent to the discussions here. I, I post them on those places. Uh, so until we speak again, Dave McBride, thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island.